WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. We continue to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month here at WCNC Charlotte. And this week, we're taking a closer look at the growing influence of the Hispanic community here in the Carolinas. The most recent census data shows there are now more than a million Hispanic residents in North Carolina. 170,000 of them live right here in Mecklenburg County. Statewide, the Latin American population growing more than 40% in the last decade, outpacing numbers seen nationwide. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to learn more about the, the growing needs of this growing community. But first, a look at the massive role Hispanics will play in the upcoming election, now less than a month away. Joining us now is Larisa Garzon. She oversees North Carolina operations for the Hispanic Federation. Uh, Larisa, your organization does many things to empower uh, the Hispanic community, chief among them, at least right now, working to get folks registered to vote. Is that right? Good morning. That's right. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, talk about your efforts to, to get folks registered um, and, and why that's important. So the Hispanic Federation and other nonprofit organizations, businesses and institutions have joined forces to bring the Latino power up to make sure that people are registering to vote, to make sure that they're making it to the polls. And of course, it's important because the Latino population is growing here in North Carolina and um, many of our community members um, need to learn more about how to get involved in the civic process and how to make sure that their voices are heard. And that leads me to my next point is that, that uh, you're launching sort of a, an initiative to get voters out to the polls. Um, and how are you going to do this? Um, what, what is that initiative? That's right. So we've been working with the community since March. We've been um, going to places where the community frequents like uh, supermarkets, uh, the Hispanic festivals, uh, churches, uh, universities, places like that to tell people about the elections, to register them to vote. And now that the registration period is gonna be over on October 14th, we're gonna focus on getting everybody to the polls. Um, again, by doing different activities that will encourage them to, to go vote and also to provide them with things like transportation or just information about the elections. I assume, is this nonpartisan, I would assume? Is this just basically getting people to vote regardless of how they wanna vote? That's right. We are a nonpartisan organization, and our goal is really that people feel represented, that people feel like their voice counts, and that they're being heard by our elected officials. And so what better way to be uh, counted and being heard than to be a part of that decision-making process that, you know, decides who's going to be representing us at the federal, state, and local level. I think one of the important things when we have a conversation like this here uh, on this show, on this station, is to illuminate an issue for folks who might not other, otherwise understand and, and and might not have firsthand experience. So explain, there are about 200,000 Latinos in the state who are eligible to vote. And what are some of the barriers they face in getting registered? So um, we know that the Latino population is growing in North Carolina, and we also know that the number of people that are voting is increasing every year. But of course, the Latino population has been historically marginalized and excluded from the political process. And many people feel like their voices are not heard. And so there's um, some issues um, that have to do with educating people and making sure that they feel included in the process. The other um, issue I would say is that most of the growth of the Latino population in North Carolina is from uh, people who are born here 
um, and who may be uh, the first people in their family who are eligible to vote. So they're kind of like, uh, you know, exploring this opportunity and this right for the first time in their family. And um, it makes it very important that we do um, community education through campaigns like La Voz de Mi Gente so that they know how the political process works and how they can, um, you know, uh, go uh, raise their voice. Another issue would be transportation. Of course, we know in rural areas, especially here in North Carolina, there's not a lot of public transportation. And um, for the low income members of our community, that might be an issue or the issue of like missing work, things like that, that are also common in other populations. They also apply to the Latino community. If your if you're, uh, organization is successful and, and you get more people registered to vote and, and voting in a larger block, just speak to the scale you think that the Hispanic community could have when it comes to, say, this upcoming election. Yes. Um, well, the state, just in North Carolina, there's more than one million Latino residents, and out of them, 400,000 Latinos are eligible to vote. Out of the 400,000 um, that are eligible, only 60% are, are registered, and out of those, only 59% of those voters uh, went to vote in 2020. So we know that if we can increase the number of Latinos that make it to the poll, we can really have an impact in the elections. Just in Mecklenburg County, there's 170,000 Latinos. And um, when you think about it, almost 30% of all the Latinos in North Carolina are 18 years old. That means that the number of Latinos that are eligible to vote will continue to increase each year. And so um, the more that we uh, encourage them to be involved, the more that we encourage them to vote, the more of an impact they will have both at the local and uh, state races. Well, and we know some of these, especially state races are, are so close, you know, coming down to just a few thousand here or there that, that it, it, any large group can could, could make a, a big difference in the outcome. A new poll from NBC uh, shows Republicans are, are cutting into Democrats lead among Latino voters. What do you make of this shift? What does that say? We know no group is monolithic in this country, whether it's Hispanic population, uh, uh, voters of color in general, uh, the gay population. What do you think this means about the Hispanic voting bloc? Well, um, our community is just as diverse as any other community. Um, we are nonpartisan in our campaign and we respect this diversity. We know that people have different points of views and different concerns depending on their age, their identity, their geographic area. Um, and so instead of doing an analysis about which parties the Latinos support, we really focus on the issues that affect them and what our electo elected officials are doing to solve these issues and to make sure that they reach, to, reach out to our community all the time and not just uh, during election year, because that is one of the issues I feel like a lot of people in our community feel like they're only talk to when there is an election. And so we need to change that. We need to make sure that um, people who are running for office understand the importance of our voice, the impact that we can have on the state, and that they continuously work with our population to address the issues that affect them. Um, and that we are not seen as just one group of people, but just the diverse community that we are. That's why it's important to have campaigns like ours, because we are just asking people to get informed about the issues and to vote with their conscience and to make sure that their voices are being heard. All right, Larisa Garcon, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talk to us. We appreciate it. Of course, thank you for having me.
All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The 40% increase in North Carolina's Hispanic population is creating new needs and new opportunities. Joining us now is Stephanie Ortega. She's with the co-executive director of the Carolina Migrant Network. Uh, Stephanie, your organization works to provide legal services at, at free or no cost to what is a growing migrant population here in, in Charlotte. And uh, it is a population that is often voiceless. And that is where uh, your group comes in. That is right. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Tell us more about what your group and, and, and what you do. Thank you. Well, we are uh, the Carolinas of both North and South Carolina's only legal nonprofit that provides legal representation um, to people who are in deportation proceedings in this area. And we've been around since 2020, actually. <laughs> so right at the beginning of the pandemic, we launched um, right before it, it started, actually. And we've been providing this service ever since, um, making sure that people who are in this community are able to receive the legal assistance that they otherwise would not be able to afford. And why is, why is it important that your group sort of exists right now? Why is it so difficult for folks to get those resources that they, they really need? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So since 2008, Charlotte has had an immigration court. It's a regional court that covers both North and South Carolina. And since then, we have not had any sort of nonprofit that provides resources for individuals who are in deportation proceedings. Um, and what's really interesting about um, the court system here is that um, the immigration court system is that you may be in deportation proceedings, but you are not entitled to an attorney as you would be in um, criminal court, for example. It's very close to tax court um, to give folks an idea. And so we have seen over the past um, 20 years almost um, really um, low levels of approvals for cases, close to 90% denials. Um, and even though, um, you know, our state ranks 10th for people facing removal proceedings, it racks absolutely last for legal representation. And what would happen to these folks if there, if there wasn't a group like yours representing them? Absolutely. So we provide um, significant assistance to individual individuals. And one of the, the, the things that we're trying to combat is ensuring that people um, have um, representation right now. People who are removal proceedings in Charlotte are um, less likely to win a case. And some of these cases can range into $50,000, $30,000 ranges. And so, so far with the clientele that we've had since 2020, we've been able to save people over $5 million in um, otherwise legal uh, services that they would have to pay for. Um, this past two years, uh, this community has been hit disproportionately, we should say, by uh, the pandemic, public health crisis, the ongoing economic issues. What challenge does that pose for your work? Absolutely. A lot of the individuals that we're seeing who are in removal proceedings often have the primary breadwinner who is in deportation proceedings. This is a huge economic impact for families and where there's um, multi, uh, various generations living in one household and depend on this income. And so we see our jobs as um, an opportunity to alleviate um, an individual's legal situation and provide, if possible, a pathway to um, some sort of uh, legal status. Um, just this week, a federal appeals court temporarily allowing some undocumented immigrants to stay in the U.S. The court granted temporary extension to allow current DACA recipients to continue work and studying in the U.S. Um, what does this mean for the, the thousand of immigrants here in North Carolina and, and really across the country? 
Absolutely. So DACA folks are individuals who have been in community for quite some time. They're parents now, teachers, um, people in the workforce. It's an opportunity for individuals to continue to thrive in our community um, and provide the much needed services that they have been doing so. And, and th this ruling as of uh, this past week, did, does that give you some optimism or, or, or have you learned not to be optimistic about these things? <laughs> I think uh, we have learned to be a little bit cautious of our federal courts as the years have come through, especially when it comes to uh, lawsuits uh, related to immigration cases. Um, but I think it's an opportunity for folks to try to um, create plans for their families um, as we navigate a very complex uh, federal court system. Uh, let me ask you a tough question. Our, this broadcast happens on, on uh, broadcast TV. We have all sorts of people watching this uh, of all backgrounds, of all stripes. Uh, for the folks out there who say they're, they're hard line when it comes to immigration and, and, and may not agree with you on many things, what would you tell them about the importance of, of your organization and, and why it's important, regardless about what you feel about immigration, that these folks get some representation in our court system? Absolutely. So it's important to understand that everyone should be entitled to legal representation um, and should have a fighting chance at, at, at court. And what's so important about the community that we serve is that we have seen significant growth in the Charlotte area since the 80s and 90s due to the levels of migration we've had to this area. Um, we have been able to contribute to the local economy and we are a vibrant community that is, is at this point very well integrated um, in the Charlotte community. I grew up in this community. I am an immigrant from El Salvador and I am proud to call myself a Charlottean. Uh, and just like myself, there are various other individuals who are doing what they can um, to make Charlotte a better place. Like like all of Charlotte is transplants anyway, so so yeah. <laughs> nobody can almost anybody can claim to be a true Charlottean at this point uh, in, in a city as as diverse as ours. Um, if somebody wants to help your organization, what can they do? Absolutely. So we really encourage individuals to check us out online at uh, carolinamigrantnetwork.com. Or I'm sorry. Or you can find us on social media uh, at Carolina Migrant Network on Instagram, Twitter, and believe it or not, we're actually on TikTok now. So come and find us. Is it everybody? Is it everybody? All right, Stephanie Ortega. Stephanie, thank you for coming on. We do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A new study from the Pew Research Center says the Charlotte metro area ranks among the top cities for having the most immigrants. And many of these families have children in the school system who are trying to navigate their way in a new country. WCNC Charlotte's Shamaria Morrison spoke with students and teachers on this journey. I know how scared you've been over the last few months, wondering if you would get sent back to Guatemala, but, but now that you know you're safe, and I couldn't be happier or more proud of you. In this book lies the stories of students who call Cabarrus County home. Just like me, you came from Guatemala as an unaccompanied and undocumented minor. You were caught by immigration just like I was. Its author, an ESL, or English as a second language teacher, has her own story. I've always wanted to be a teacher, but um, dropping out of high school and not having really the educational background that I needed made me not consider teaching. Emily Francis says she represents hundreds of immigrant students. When I became part of the Latino high school dropout, Year by year, the dropout rate for Hispanic students have seen historic lows. 
but the education department says they're still dropping out at almost twice the rate as their black and white counterparts. Frances eventually went back to get her GED. Little by little, I kept building my confidence back from where I dropped out of high school. Now she has a master's degree and is using her experience to teach other English language learners to never give up. She's like one of the teachers I actually really admire and love because just seeing her help us all out and seeing how like she wants to see us go somewhere in life. Frances sees their triumphs and struggles in her. There are so many readers out there that don't know what it is to be an immigrant. They don't know what it is to sit in a classroom when you don't understand the language. Her book, Letters from an Immigrant Teacher, gives a voice and empowerment to their stories. You encouraged me to make one of the most significant decisions in my life. Shamaria Morrison, WCNC Charlotte. Coming up after this, we celebrate Hispanic heritage through art. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A charlatan of Cuban descent is celebrating the culture through art. The collection of Moses Lusky is traveling the country in an exhibit. WCNC Charlotte's Brianna Harper shares how his Hispanic heritage is playing a major part in all of it. As children, we gain a lot from our parents. And for Moses Lusky, he says his biggest takeaway was a passion for creativity. The moment I was born, uh, I was basically surrounded by art and culture. He and his parents fled to America from Cuba when he was just a boy. And early on, he says he began to notice the power of art as expression. One of the hallmarks of Cuban art is that subtle message. So you may be looking at an innocent bird, but the artist really wants you to dig into the symbolism because the bird might mean I'm imprisoned. And those elements of expression can be found all throughout Lusky's home through artwork created by Cuban artists like Carlos Estevez. My wife actually became very enthusiastic about him and purchased this piece. It's of a kind of a, of a woman uh, rocking her head back and, in, you know, just in, in passionate joy. A theme similar to a nationwide traveling exhibit that includes some of Lusky's artwork. The purpose is to showcase how humans are united in art and emotions. It's a lesson learned through his parents and his Hispanic heritage that's now being shared with others. We just add to the mix and we should celebrate that. Brianna Harper, WCNC, Charlotte. Folks, come interact with us on social media. If there's something you want us to cover here on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.